0: Dr. Jerry, on Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored. Thanks for tuning in on this hour. Uh, We should have a fantastic podcast uh, planned for you tonight uh, with our guest, Dr. Ralph Moss, a cancer specialist. Before we get going, though, please, uh, we always start each show with an attitude of gratitude because an attitude of gratitude not only boosts joy and general life, Satisfaction, it's also the single best predictor of good relationships and benefits both sanity and physical health. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, thank you uh, for tuning in and making us the number one uh, health uh, podcast here in Southwest Florida. I have to tell you that this program contains general medical information. The medical information heard on this program is not advice and should not be treated as such. The information is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. With that being said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, they're waiting for do- Dr. Moss to uh, call into the uh, podcast. Uh, he said he would do it, and he has the phone number. Uh, just let me just tell you a little bit about him while, while we're waiting for him to call in. Uh, he's a medical writer, a Ph.D., that has written or edited 12 books and four film documentaries on questions relating to cancer research and treatment. Dr. Moss is a graduate of New York University, got his bachelor's there cum laude, and then Stanford. And uh, got his—he's uh, a former science writer and assistant director of public affairs at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York from 1974 to 1977. Since then, and since leaving Sloan Kettering in '77. Moss has independently evaluated the claims of conventional and non-conventional cancer treatments all over the world. He visits these centers that, that say they can cure cancer. He currently writes Moss reports, which are detailed reports on the 40 most common cancer diagnoses and provides informational and personalized consultations for cancer patients and their families. In 2019, which is now, he wrote The Ultimate Guide to Cancer, which is a DIY, a do-it-yourself research, to help lay people research their own cancers. This this report is available free of charge at MossReports.com. MossReports.com. Now, this Ultimate Guide to Cancer... In there, he will reveal uh, the four main tools that doctors use to decide the best cancer treatments. He says you will be able to penetrate into the inner sanctum of medicine and reveal its secrets. Learn why some cancer treatments that look good in clinical trials may not work in the real world for patients like yourself. He's making this cancer guide, ladies and gentlemen, free of charge at mossreports.com. And it reveals methods that insiders use to learn about cancer treatment options. It, it reveals, show, or reveals and shows how to judge actual benefits of treatment as well as side effects that may be underplayed by doctors providing those treatments. It translates the jargon of medicine to reveal its common sense meaning. It guides you through the process of reading medical literature to extract information you need to make informed decisions. And he says we also include directions to easily translate the guide to other languages. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's mossreports.com uh, to get your free uh, do-it-yourself book, the ultimate guide to cancer. Well, ladies and gentlemen, while we're waiting for uh, Mr. Moss to or Dr. Moss to uh, to call in, uh, I want to thank. Uh, a a dear friend of mine for uh, making this possible. Even if there's a problem there, there has to be an explanation, but uh, she went the extra extra yard with her big heart and a girl that's always working, always trying to bring information uh, to help other people. So uh, thank you so much, Teresa. I appreciate what you've done. So what should we, what should we do? Well, if you go to, to mossreports.com, you'll see a, a, a study that he has posted there. Uh, finally, a study that proves that vitamin C fights cancer. It's on www.mossreports.com, and in there, he, uh, for the first time, says for at, they finally got a paper published that uh, is everything that vitamin C should be done should should be doing for cancer. And he has uh, letters there from Minus Pauling to himself when Mr. Dr. Pauling was alive. Uh, great little uh, testimony to, to vitamin C. It looks like the studies that were previously done uh, on vitamin C at the Mayo Clinic were flawed. So let's also bring into the conversation Dr. Jerry. Uh, Dr. Jerry uh, has some personal <coughs> contact also with uh, Dr. Moss. And we were going to use that to start off our interview. But uh, while he's uh, introducing, I'm going to uh, try and get a hold of Dr. Moss and see uh, if we can get him on the air. Well,
1: thank you, Ron. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Back in 202, my wife was diagnosed with stage three uh, ovarian cancer. And when anybody gets the big C diagnosis, you kind of panic, uh, even being a professional, uh, because it hits home personally. But one of the things that I did was I I fortuitously came across Ralph Moss's uh, website and information, and I purchased uh, one of his modules for ovarian cancer. And um, thank God I did, because he really uh, zeroes in on the main issues about cancer, and gives you, you know, background information from all the clinics that he, he visits to assess, you know, the efficacy of, of the procedures that they're providing. And, you know, it, it was because of uh, Ralph Moss's report that gave me terrific uh, direction to take with my wife. And, um, you know, the bottom line is uh, she had good nine years of a uh, quality life. And unfortunately, uh, you know, it's hard to raise wives. She only listened to about half, the, half of what I told her. But uh, that being said, uh, it, it definitely made a difference and it gives you a sense of security in, in selecting uh, various types of uh, therapy.
0: Okay, Dr. Jerry, I just uh, sent a text message off to him. Uh, something must have, uh, you know, he, he had confirmed as of uh, this morning that he would be calling in at uh, four minutes before the show. So, uh, Dr. Jerry, so tonight we were going to talk on, on cancer and alternatives to cancer. So some of the questions I was going to ask Dr. Moss is, uh, how much time do you have to make an informed decision? What choices do you have? If you choose complementary or or, or alternative, where will you get the expertise you need to guide you? If you choose complementary, what type of natural medicine is best for you? If you're leaning toward an alternative path, what should you be thinking about? And lastly, which I think is important, how can you comfortably work with conventional medical system, even if you choose the complementary one? So I think that's a big stumbling block for a lot of a lot of our cancer patients is that uh, they are they want to do something natural but they're stuck in a system which doesn't allow them to do that. Uh,
1: well, I can so, I can elaborate on that personally. Uh, you have to find an oncologist that's open-minded and willing to accept, you know, your alternative approaches that you want to take. And if not, you know, they unfortunately they get their back up against the wall and uh, they get very condescending sometimes and arrogant uh, because they don't want to show their ignorance. But, you know, as a perfect example, when I approached my wife's oncologist about using glutathione uh, along with the chemo, he said, Oh, it's going to interfere with the effectiveness in the chemo. And I said, uh, uh, doctor, I I beg to differ with you, your own medical literature, peer reviewed, oncology literature states unequivocally that glutathione not only prevents or reduces peripheral neuropathy by 80%, but it also enhances chemotherapy. And this was in his own literature that he was not aware of. So you really have to do your homework and be prepared to intelligently discuss your, your approach with your oncologist.
0: I think that's, that's, uh, that's, that's right. And, and we, we talked about even with your normal medical Conditions. If you can't have an open discussion with your physician, you know, shop around till you till you find somebody that you can uh, speak with. All right. So it looks like Dr. Moss is not going to call in or going to be very late. So let me just number first re uh, remind you that you can get a great free report at www.mossreports.com. It's called the Ultimate Guide Do It Yourself Research. Uh, the Ultimate Guide to Cancer. Okay, it's on his website, so you can <clears throat> just he will rec- you'll have to give your uh, email report, and then you can d- email address, and then you can download this uh, 60-page report. And it's gotten rave reviews uh, uh, from especially uh, from the Sloan Kettering, also from uh, Raymond Chang, director of the Meridian Medical Group and member of retired member of Sloan Kettering Institute. Uh, he's got the Hungarian Academy of Sciences has, re, has reviewed it. Uh, the board certif- a board certified medical oncology at Nutrition and Integrative and Holistic Medicine, Dr. Dwight McKee, has endorsed the book. And is it is a free download, ladies and gentlemen. So that's at mossreports.com. And Dr. Moss uh, is a PhD. So, you know, he's gotten. Some little bit of criticism about using doctor, but he has a PhD and he's he has really been uh, a leader in the field of alternative medicine. I remember him when he was uh, with the Cancer Decisions. Uh, uh, He would have a weekly uh, blog put out, and uh, I've I followed him for years from the Townsend newsletter for doctors on till till today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think I see him on the, on the board. Uh, Dr. Moss, is that you?
2: Yes, it is. Hi.
0: All right. Thank you. Uh, We were getting a little concerned. Okay. But we have, uh, we have introduced you. I uh, have uh, let our audience know about the ultimate guide to cancer. Do you do it yourself research available on your website? Uh, they know about you and, uh, I was just telling them that uh, uh, probably in the 80s, I guess, after you wrote the the book about the cancer industry, I started following you, and there was a time when the Townsend Newsletter for Doctors was just an eight-and-a-half-by-eleven pieces of paper stapled together, and uh, yeah, right. I, I followed you all through them. In fact, I still see it today, uh, but anyway, yeah. I, Dr. Jerry's on the line. I'm on the line. I want to welcome you to Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored, <laughs> and... Uh, Thank you for uh, being here tonight. Thank you. Well, Dr. Moss, you know, Dr. Jerry and I discussed a lot of things today, but we sort of maybe, you know, since you're in the field, you've evaluated a lot. Uh, People are reading in the paper, U.S. cancer death rate hits a milestone, 25 years of decline. They're reading about the big pharmaceutical companies uh, clamoring and making deals to get these cancer drugs so maybe if if a, if you could or if you if that's okay with you to give us an overview of where we stand uh with uh, with cancer now and um uh, and uh then I, I do have some questions for you as so Dr. Jerry.
3: Sure, sure. Well most of the decline in the cancer deaths is because of smoking cessation programs. So yes, it's re- that's real. Um some of it is due to is due to drugs, new drugs that have come out, but uh, we're still pretty desperate when it comes to the treatment of um, late stage cancers, stages three b and four, which is to say metastatic disease. I've recently been reviewing the data on um, stage four lung cancer, which is probably you know one of the biggest killers in the world. Certainly, in the United States, and um, you get a certain you get a you get a certain advantage a certain survival advantage out of chemo it's about about six months of uh, survival advantage during which time the likelihood of having serious to severe side effects are pretty high from the chemo. then there are three groups of people who have mutations in their cancer, and those mutations can be targeted with specific drugs. Each of them represents, a, I don't have my books open in front of me, but it's something like between 4 and 8% of the, of the non-small cell lung cancer population would have these mutations. And then there are different sets of drugs that can address those mutations. Now, with two of them, you know, you're adding some more months on to the survival with the latest, the latest category of anti-cancer drugs, which is immune immune checkpoint inhibitor drugs like Cutruda and uh, Optivo. It's a wild card because, and we'll talk some more about this, but these drugs don't work in the normal, typical way that chemotherapy works. They work on unleashing the immune system. And I've believed for 40 years that this is the way to go, so I'm not going to badmouth those drugs. I think they're fa- it's a fantastic development that the cancer establishment has turned towards immunotherapy. It's about time. You know, this has been pending for over 100 years that we've known that the immune system can be activated to fight the cancer. <clears throat> so there is this category which has tremendous potential but I believe that the way that they're being used has some, has some problems with that. There are some flaws in the way that it's being, they're, be, they're being conceived of. So the full potential of these drugs uh, is not being realized. But that's a new, a different thing. I won't say new thing because, um, as you know, and as many of your listeners know, c- cancer immunotherapy goes back to the 1890s. So it was there before chemo, before radiation, when surgery was still in its infancy. There was immunotherapy, Coley's toxins um, at, Sloan, at Memorial Sloan Kettering. So it isn't like something new, but what's new is a certain more sophisticated way of, of understanding the relationship between the cancer cell and the immune cell and of manipulating that situation in order to make the immune system more effective. So I think there is hope. I'm very hopeful. I'm more hopeful than I've been in a long time based upon the, finally, the acceptance by the cancer establishment of intellectually, at least, the primacy of immunotherapy as the way forward for cancer treatment. Well, yeah.
1: Dr. Ron, I'd like to just cut in here for a second. Um my experience well first i want to thank you personally from my heart uh back in 2002 my wife came down with stage 3 ovarian cancer and i purchased one yeah. of your, your modules for uh uh you know ovarian cancer and, and it really helped bring some sanity into my approach to working with her sure. uh, so thank you Great. so much um you're welcome but my my journey has been uh, very interesting with cancer in that Uh, I don't look at cancer as a disease. Uh, I I look at it as a breakdown of the immune system. And and I understand what you're saying about boosting with uh, immune immune drug boosting uh, capabilities. But what I find, because I treat cancer patients, and what I'm finding is that there's initiators that are causing the cancer. So, for example, uh, I had a stage uh, 4 throat cancer patient. And he had three infected root canal teeth, and when I removed mm-hmm. the root canal teeth, uh, three weeks later, the cancer totally disappeared
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and, and uh uh-huh. mm-hmm. because see we're dealing if you have a splinter in your finger and you can put all the yeah. immune immune boosting drugs you want, mucur iodine you've got to get that splinter out and And I think yes. medicine medicine is out in left field. By by attacking the cancer as a disease, it's just a symptom. It's like a pimple, and and once you define the underlying causes, then you know how to deal with them by getting rid of the initiators like mercury, pesticides, uh, you know, all these chemicals. I, I mean, that's just my like right. two cents worth, and we're seeing some phenomenal results. Sure, and I mean, I'm I, you know, I'm totally on
3: board with prevention, but. As a consultant for cancer patients, uh, you know, for the last 25 years, I've been so focused on the desperate situation, the situation of the person who is 90% of the people I consult for are people who they or their loved ones have advanced disease. And then you're dealing with a situation that's gotten really out of control and I'm not sure that the preventive mechanism is going to be sufficient in terms of the treatment. Uh, prevention and treatment are not identical. You know, they don't present an identical set of challenges. So when the person is on the brink of dying, you know, desperate me- desperate conditions, whatever the expression is, but desperate, desperate conditions give rise to desperate measures. And I think you have to look at... Well, what could we do to bring this person back from the brink of extinction? And the, the prevention, which is completely valid, may not be the answer when you're dealing with the, you know, with the situation that a lot of people find themselves in. Yes, I mean, I've heard that story before, by the way, about the removal of the root canals and, and the, the mercury fillings and so forth. And I'm not contesting it. I've heard this. I heard it from Hal Huggins. Um, who did a great deal to you know forward the view of the removal of of silver uh so called silver mercury amalgams from the teeth of of people and that's how he got into the field was because his father, who was also a dentist, saw people with lymphoma who were cured of lymphoma by the removal of their mercury amalgams, so that's what gave him the impetus to do the biological dentistry, but it doesn't work in every case, and there are people who are just in such a desperate strait that you have to start thinking about more radical measures, um, we've known for a very, very long time, since 1893, that, you, that first of all, we've known for a very long time that cancer sometimes, quote unquote, spontaneously is cured. Well, that, and that word spontaneous just means, I don't know the origin. Of the cure, what it really turned out to be in in many many cases was a concurrent infection, usually with a bacteria like streptococcus. Um, uh, about half the cases, and there's more than a thousand cases of spontaneous remission of cancer in the literature. About half of them are associated with strep infections. So we've known this, right? In 1893, William B. Coley at Memorial Sloan Kettering administered uh, a mixture of killed bacteria to patients, initially patients with sarcoma, with fantastic results. I mean, about approximately half of his stage 4 patient, uh, cancer patients were cured, or at least we would say put into long-term remission uh, of their cancer, using something as simple as a killed uh, mixture of, of strep, and serratia marcescens, which is just an additive uh, microbe that makes the other microbe more potent. Okay, this was known. There was a practice at Memorial from 1893 to 1963. In 1963, the FDA got its enhanced powers from the Congress, hmm. or the revision of the FDA law. So for... 70 years straight they were doing immunotherapy at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York and then we had the era of the NCI basically adopting the lead on this when I was at Sloan between 74 and 77 my three top bosses three of my four top bosses at Sloan Kettering were immunologists so we we ate you know breathed talked all all day and night about immunology and how to harness that in the treatment of cancer. And in the background of that was our collective knowledge that this had already been done, that the immune therapy of cancer, that's to say finding a way to unleash the immune system was the proper way to go, and that chemotherapy already in the 70s was sort of intellectually at a dead end, even though, of course, they went on for decades developing these drugs, but it was the wrong way to go. You 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 destroy the immune you know, you, you, you destroy the village in order to save it, to use the Vietnam analogy. You destroy the immune system in order to try to save in the course of trying to save the patient, but then when that stops working and it almost always does stop working when we're talking about treatment of advanced cancer, what are you left with? You have a patient who no longer can respond to the immune therapy. So I think they've got it completely backwards. Although in, in lung cancer now we are seeing, uh, and a few others like melanoma, we are seeing a shift towards using the immune drugs as the primary treatment. That's, a, that's something amazing that has actually happened within, within uh, conventional oncology. But for most cancers, you're get you, you you're sort of on the assembly line. You're put through the chemo, the radiation, the surgery, and then, if when and if that doesn't work, then they start talking about giving you immune therapy. But if your if your lymphocyte count goes below fifteen hundred, you're very unlikely to respond to the immune therapy. And many of the people that I talk to uh, as consultations uh, are their immune systems have been decimated. I mean, I'm not just saying this polemically. This is actually a fact because I ask them, well, read me what it says about your total lymphocyte count. Well, it's 900, it's 800, it's 1,100. In other words, they don't, their immune system doesn't rise to the level that the research at MD Anderson has shown is required in order to have a long-lasting effect from the immune therapy. So we've basically, both the disease and its treatment, have decimated the immune system. What they should be doing, in my opinion, is building up the patient's immune system using immunostimulation and other, and other things. And then once the immune system is in place and other things have been done to foster the natural uh, strength of the person's own immunity, then you use low doses of the immune checkpoint Inhibitors. I mean, very low, low doses that have been written off as non-effective, use them in combination with immune, immune stimulation through um, cytokine treatment like interleukin-2, uh, hypothermia or heat therapy or viral therapy, and you use those in conjunction with the low doses of the immune checkpoint inhibitors, and you've got a very good chance of bringing about a remission or a or, or complete or partial re- regression of cancer in those people if you can make that last for two mu- for two years there's a very good chance you've cured the patient and that's the goal basically how you could use immunotherapy and in, in the cancer establishment is edging towards that of course things move slowly but luckily we've got some brilliant and daring minds now in 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 leadership positions in the cancer field, like James Allison, who won the who just won the um, Nobel Prize a couple of weeks ago for his discovery of uh, the first of the immune checkpoint drugs, and these people are pushing the field forward. They understand these these issues. A lot of the things that uh, that my colleagues and I have been talking about for the last five years are now, you know, being being mirrored in um, you know, in the field of uh, of conventional medicine. So I think it's um it's a good chance that we're going to be be able to see some some real progress made in the next few years.
0: So well, Dr. Moss, uh if a person happens to get the uh, diagnosis of cancer, uh, they had how um, they have time to make decisions, right? I mean, they don't have to make a decision on the spot about what kind of treatment they're going to get. So right. my question, my question to you is how much time do you have to make an informed decision? And what choices do, do, the, do our patients have, do the, our listeners have? And if you choose a complementary or alternative path, where do you find that expertise? And how do you find someone that will work with you with a complementary or alternative physician?
3: Sure. Good question. So the amount of time that you have to make a decision varies. From the, by the type of cancer and by the the virulence or aggressiveness of the cancer. Um, when it comes to the treatment, let's say, of colon cancer, you really do have to, if you're going to do the chemotherapy, um, you do need to make that decision within uh, seven weeks of the time that you finished that, that you had the surgery. So, if you had surgery, we're talking about ad, an adjuvant or added uh, chemo treatment of uh, of uh, colon. You really should have that chemo started seven weeks or even less, because if you, it's amazing, but if you wait eight, nine, ten weeks, you're, you have a diminishing effect of the chemotherapy on the survival rate of the patient. So there is a certain urgency. I'm just taking that because I wrote about that in my ultimate guide to cancer DIY research, which is available free at my website, by the way, mossreports.com. Um, uh, so that was the case that I focused on was the colon cancer case. Um, in other cases, like with prostate cancer, it's it's questionable whether the person even needs uh, aggressive therapy. There is That's one of the cancers that, uh, for many cases, if they have a Gleason up to a Gleason six, and even some of the Gleason seven uh, prostate cases, they may not need immediate therapy. They could do what, watch, watch and wait, or what they call active surveillance, and then uh, see whether or not they can get the cancer under control through natural means. So you have you have extremes. Uh, one of the ways that you can know whether your cancer um, needs immediate treatment would be first of all to look at the pathology report and see what the grade of the cancer is. So uh, normally cancers are graded 1 to 3. So a a grade 1 cancer is a, is a more differentiated or less aggressive cancer. Um, a grade 2 is a moderate uh, differentiation, and a grade 3 would be a highly undifferentiated cancer. Now, those cancers are going to be, more aggressive, and are going to require a faster decision. Um, Another way you could do this is if you have had a PET scan or a PET CT, (positron emission tomography scan, the higher the SUV score, the standard uptake value, the more urgent, the more malignant the cancer is, and therefore the more urgent is the uh, decision to start therapy. So I would not, never say that it isn't, you know, isn't a matter of some urgency. But I think what where people get sort of flummoxed is a lot of oncologists and surgeons act as if you have to make the decision tomorrow. Or I mean, they don't make it's not a decision. They just tell you come in tomorrow and we'll do the surgery or something along those lines. It isn't Correct. like that. But but in a in an, in a lot of cases, yes, some weeks. You know, you have a few weeks to make a decision, but don't think that you have indefinite time unless the doctor tells you that you have such an indolent type of cancer. It doesn't even show up on a PET scan, for instance. There are cancers like that. Or um, it has such a low grade in terms of, not stage, but grade in terms of the pathology that you do have more time to make that decision. As far as where to go to get... Um, to get you know good complementary holistic treatment, well, there is an organization called the Fellows of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology. These are board-certified naturopathic oncologists. I'm sure most people listening have no idea that such a such a, a category even existed, but it's a very well-established board. Certification, just like your oncologist is board certified in oncology. Well, the naturopaths have the equivalent, and there's about, oh, I don't know, about 20 of them around the United States. You can just look up the, the initials FABNO, F-A-B-N-O, and then you'll see that's their website of, the, um, of, the, of the, the, the FABNOs, are the Fellows of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology. All of these people are highly trained in in the field of using naturopathic medicine to address various issues in cancer. Now, about half of them work for the one organization which is Cancer Treatment Centers of America, but there are others who are working at other hospitals or are independent and can do consulting. And I I know many of them. They're all leaders in the field they're all uh all very well qualified the exam to become a fabno is extremely difficult in fact one of the one of the people who who worked on creating the exam told me she barely passed it was her own exam but it was so wow. hard that she she barely was able to pass her own you know the exam that she had worked on so i know that this is a very rigorous um way and then there's also a, a broader Organization called ONC, O-N-C-A-N-P, the uh, oncological. Um, um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm blocking on the name, but it has to do with um, American naturopathic physicians. So you just put an ONC-A-N-P, ONCAMP, and it, it'll come up. Now that's those are not those. Some of them are the are board certified. Some of them are not. But I have many friends in that community as well. And so if you're looking for somebody locally like I have one within uh driving distance of my own home is somebody who is in that organization. So, uh, you know, and I, and I think very highly of her. So I think you'd have a good chance of finding somebody expert. And that's just looking at one part of the big picture of medicine in one country, the United States um there are a lot of physicians, a lot of dentists, a lot of uh, a lot of people in different ancillary roles who know a ton about cancer, have had a lot of experience with it. So, you know, word of mouth is still a good way to, to ask around. But the, the most difficult thing of all is to try to find, and people ask very often, well, where can I find a holistic oncologist? Well, this is mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like not a... Uh, Oxymoron, More exactly, I mean, it's like saying you know you're gonna to go to your go to your local Catholic church and ask you know, could you recommend a good rabbi? I mean a little bit there's probably a bit, one a in there in, <laughs> <a> bit, <probably. laughs> or an ex <laughs> right, <laughs> so yeah, I mean you have a better chance with that, but um, you know there's a contradiction in in terms there, but that said. There are a few. There are a few uh, oncologists who are very interested and open to complementary medicine. I I I run into them. I mean, you can find them occasionally, but it's rare because that's not their training. And look, oncology is a very difficult. It's a difficult study, and it's also a difficult practice because you, the oncologist, quote unquote, lose. A lot of their patients Just due to the nature of the disease And also it's just an You know a very very difficult Three year post After they become internists They still have to study for three more years Because the drugs that are used In cancer are among the most uh, Poisonous dangerous Drugs that have ever been Mm. Used in human beings If not the most Um, You know people can die In the course of Administering these drugs, it, uh, it hasn't been known to happen. So, because of the extreme danger, and and not just death, but you know just the the frequency of serious side effects, um, like with like they use uh, oxaliplatin, it's a form of of the mineral platinum for colon and some other kinds of cancer. There's a regimen called FOLFOX for colon cancer. Well, ninety two percent of the people who get uh, Folfox, especially the oxaliplatin, 92% of them have nerve damage from the drug, and you can imagine, as a physician, you're just waiting to hear from your patient, "I can't feel my fingers and toes anymore," or "I've got, I've got this tingling," and those are the easy cases, or "I've got this intractable pain," and about 12% of the patients have some degree of peripheral neuropathy or nerve damage following uh, taking uh, oxaliplatin. So imagine being in a profession where you're dealing with that day in and day out. People who are telling you, I can't live this way. I mean, not that it's so severe in the 12%. Most of them are, are still the mild cases. But, you know, you've got a lot, a lot to deal with as an oncologist. So I understand that they're not experts in natural medicine. I think their failing is that they haven't accepted the open hand of the holistic doctors and the naturopathic doctors ex- with rare exceptions. So there are, there are naturopaths functioning within a more conventional um, allopathic setting, and some of them are quite successful uh, in doing so. But by and large, I fault the, the standard allopathic oncologists, the ASCO members, for not having uh, accepted. I mean, the naturopathic doctors and the holistic doctors, most of them would be thrilled to be working in a more conventional setting, but that hasn't happened as much as I would have hoped that it would have happened. It's a very, very, very slow process of integration.
1: Yeah. Well, Dr. Moss, what's interesting, when my wife had the stage three ovarian cancer, she was given the cis platinum drugs and my research yeah. in a in a peer reviewed oncology journal it showed with testing you know good controlled testing that glutathione reduced the peripheral neuropathy by 80% and it also enhanced the the platinum drug so i mean it, it's out yeah. there the information is out there it's just not being uh, discovered
3: true true and they and and for various reasons, the the um, oncologists don't know much about anything nutritional, anything supplemental. The good ones will tell you, I don't really know that field, so I'm hesitant to make any statements about it. The bear, the, the the ones who I think are reacting more defensively will say, oh, that's no good. Don't do that. It's worthless, and that's that's to me not a legitimate uh, answer. That's a defensive answer from a person who feels whose ego is challenged by a patient coming with a sheaf of information off the internet, and they feel like I don't know. I don't know what the person what this person is talking about. And the the easiest thing to do is to say, well, we we the oncology community have tested that and it doesn't work or we've tested that and it's, it's worthless. So I think that's the era that we've lived through. I have a feeling that this is now that the, that the tide is chain is, is shifting. I have reason to say this. I mean, nothing happens, you know, uh, Rutherford or somebody, Max Planck I think said science progresses funeral by funeral, meaning you've got to wait <laughs> yeah. for the, for the old people to die, you know, with the bad attitudes to die off in order to get the, uh, the people who aren't prejudiced. In his case, it was about quantum physics. But, you know, we could say this about holistic medicine. So it, it's a slow rate of attrition. But I do see signs of progress being made. I don't want to make too much of it, but I do think that we're, we're seeing some some interesting developments uh, my last my blog last week was about vitamin C and cancer. Maybe you want to talk about that. And yeah, also I, this bring that week I have a blog I have a blog coming out about yogurt <laughs> and cancer. And this you know, I like to I like to show I like it when I can show some uh standard sources because I think, you know, we can always point to this the journal Integrative Cancer Therapies, of course, Integrative Cancer Therapies is going to be friendly towards the kind of approach we're talking about. But it's more impressive, certainly to the skeptics, when you can cite orthodox conventional um, sources because that's their field. In other words, people within their own, you know, within the sphere of the, of the conservative oncologists are now starting to talk a little bit like the alternative people have been talking for the last 50 years. And this is interesting. What, whether this means a a real shift in oncology, uh, I'd like to believe that that would be very, you know, that's, that's a more optimistic view from me than saying, well, these are just the outliers who, you know, are the exception that prove the rule. Um, So, but I do, I do want to talk about this because I see some, some interesting developments taking place and it isn't one thing it's a there are shifts definitely it's a different world than the world that I entered in cancer world that I entered in 1974 which was a which was very dominated uh, by the the chemo people who were in the ascendant in the 70s and into the 80s and even when I wrote my book questioning chemotherapy in 1995, or it, 1990, it came out in 1996, you know, I felt that I was confronting a monolith within the oncology community where you had to argue that no, you know, chemotherapy is really not effective in late stage cancer and it's highly toxic. And that was a very radical position to have at that time. Now that's commonplace. Uh, we've had, we've had generations of people who have grown up having understood that we have to go, we must get past chemotherapy, and, and then chemotherapy is only lingering while we learn more about how to target uh, cancer at the molecular level and at the immuno level. So it's still there, but it's old hat. It's it's, uni- it's very widely recognized that this is the, the medicine of the past. It's 20th century medicine, not 21st century medicine, and um, and so I think we're seeing something happening. Again, I'm not going to start jumping up and down and declaring victory, but I am I am encouraged.
0: Dr. Moss, uh, Dr. Ron here, and ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Dr. Ralph Moss uh, on Dr. Ron, Unfiltered, Uncensored. Uh, Dr. Moss, do you have uh, time for a question before we continue with vitamin C and, and, and some sure. of the other questions sure. that we have? There, uh, there is a uh, sure. a good friend that I referred to you and uh, she was instrumental in getting you on this podcast and she had a question for you. Therese? Okay.
4: Yes. Hi, Dr. Ron. Hi, Dr. Moss. Hi, Dr. Jerry. Hello. Uh, my question, my question is... Um, I've been taking uh, elderberry extract because I know it helps your immune system. And since Uh I've been on chemo, I have had a viral infection twice in three weeks. Uh, I'm doing the normal things like trying to eat kale and spinach to build up my red blood cells. But I keep getting colds. And um, I've always treated holistically. That's how I know Dr. Ron. He was my doctor in the eighties till when he retired. Um, how right. much vitamin C should I be taking? And I did when I found that I had to have chemotherapy. I talked to my oncologist and I said I would much rather have immunotherapy. Penn Medicine only gives you immunotherapy if the chemotherapy fails. That don't right. make any sense right. to me. And anyway. it wouldn't just
3: be them. That's the stand. That would be the stand with most most cancers, uh, with the rare exception of lung and uh, non-small so lung and melanoma. That's pretty much, and a few others. that's pretty much the the way it goes because you're on the assembly line, you know, and they're going to treat you according to the book, and the book is is clearly stating what you do first, what you do second, what you do third.
4: Um, what I what I do appreciate is your book. I bought your book uh, because. I was horrified that I had cancer. I, I tried all my life to just do natural stuff, and um, yes. your book calmed me down. It let me know that mm-hmm. there is a cure, and if you take, if you're given yeah. these chemotherapy drugs, you have a good chance of making it. And I, I would recommend to anybody who's listening, if they have any questions, get your book. Just go to most
3: reports. And we have yeah. our 40, the 40, the 40 different types of cancer that we deal with at the Moss reports. So, you know, you, well, Dr. Moss, can I just, interject? Obviously, look, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor and I, and I don't, and I wouldn't, and if I were, I wouldn't prescribe over the phone, I, over the, you know, the radio or the phone. I would say this, that in my experience, the most powerful immune stimulant available to us uh, are the um, Asian mushrooms. So uh, maitake, shiitake, oyster mushroom, and those are available in supplement form, and, there, and you can also re- very easily make a broth out of those mushrooms. Uh, this is the old sun soup. Formula that was until unfortunately Dr. Sund died uh, tragically about 10 years ago. But that was a formula he used to uh, cure his mother of lung cancer, and that was used on many patients. And it's it's a formula because those mushrooms, especially the the shiitake and the maitake, you know, those have been made into approved medications. The shiitake is an approved medication. In China and Japan, and you can make a broth by boiling those mushrooms um, in water. Excuse me, is um, it,
4: isn't that recipe in your book?
3: It is. So I give my my mushroom broth um, in the book. Yes, that's the most okay, powerful. I'll, I'll look up in that. new stimulant, vitamin C. It's hard to say because I just wrote a big article and did a did a, a YouTube video about vitamin C and cancer. But that concerns the intravenous vitamin C, not the not the oral vitamin C. so I can't give you a straight answer about how much you should take. I think you need a little bit more laboratory work to be done to see exactly what's going on. So you one know
4: of the other things where that, you have one one okay. of the other things I've been taking, because I've known about it since nineteen eighty is Palda arco. Now I don't know whether it helps or it just keeps it from spreading but I take it every day. Yeah. Well, keep on doing it. <laughs>
1: well, Dr. Moss, uh, have you had any experience yeah. with ozone therapy uh, against cancer or the immune system? Well,
3: I know some of my European friends, clinic uh, directors use it, but it's only, they only use it for symptomatic relief. I have questions about ozone therapy just like I do about any treatment that in some instances would be harmful. I'm not saying that the way that it's done in cancer is harmful, but since we know that ozone as a gas is damaging to the lungs, I think the burden of proof is on people who say that it's harmless because if you're dealing with something that could be harmful, then it's up to you to prove that it's not and much less that it's effective the various times that I've gone and tried to find other than anecdotal stories about ozone, I have not been successful in finding proof of its effectiveness. Um, I also, sometimes you hear things said about ozone therapy that don't make too much sense to me, uh, namely that cancers can't live, uh, you know, are killed by oxygen that sort of thing, uh, that would not be true, and it's a misunderstanding of the wor- work of Dr. Otto Warburg, ha- who won the Nobel Prize in thirty in thirty one for his his showing that cancers were um fermenting and instead of uh just res- res- respiring um that said i I do want to talk about the vitamin C. Because that would relate to this ozone question, and I'll show. I'll I'll come back to the ozone question in a minute, if I if I may. Yes. So the. the, So you can.
0: Yeah, I know you're going to be talking about this blog. I want to just uh, again, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can see uh, get a link to this uh, YouTube video on MossReports.com, and uh, this was really enlightening. And uh, those of us that were have been around for a while, uh, I always felt. And so did my colleagues about the results from the Mayo Clinic, but don't, don't let me steal your your blog here because uh, we we've talked about this for right. years that it wasn't done properly.
3: We didn't know what, exactly why. Um, so Linus Pauling and you and Cameron, starting in about the 1960s, I would say certainly in the 70s, put well, you know, Pauling who who won two solo Nobel Prizes and was a great man whom I knew quite well, uh, he had a theory that vitamin C could prevent the common cold and could treat the common cold. Leaving that aside, he then got into a big controversy over this, and then he expanded this to say that he thought that vitamin C was helpful in treating cancer. He never said that vitamin C was the cure for cancer, um, but he felt that it was helpful. In treating cancer, so this created a huge national controversy. I think at one time, maybe in his his book on vitamin C and cancer was the number one bestseller in the uh, self-help uh, category, um, and it, it, it created a huge, you know, because a, a person of his eminence who would have won two two Nobel prizes could get on all the talk shows and all the rest of it. So there was a great deal of interest in this vitamin C treatment for cancer. And there was a man at the Mayo Clinic who was named Charles Mortel. He was a professor of oncology, big chemotherapist, whose nickname was Dr. DeBunker. He would go around, his chosen mission in life was to debunk other people's um, cancer theories if it came from natural medicine. And this is what he devoted himself to. He was responsible for the the negative clinical trial for Laetrile, or so-called B17, and uh, he also was in charge of the in charge of the um, the two vitamin C clinical trials. And so, the the upshot was that he claimed that there was no benefit to the vitamin C treatment that the people got, and. and and that this refuted um, Pauling's thesis. Pauling was so angry and so disappointed in these trials. At one point he called me and said that he was convinced that there was scientific fraud involved in in this trial, which is a very damning charge coming from one scientist about another scientist to actually come out and say that there, there was fraud meant that there was deliberate lying going on. I didn't quite understand. I don't think many people quite understood exactly because there were so many issues involved. But exactly how this could have been a fraud until a number of people at the National Institutes of Health picked this up and showed a few years ago that um, in the in the polling regimen, or polling and Cameron regimen, people were getting vitamin C by mouth and intravenous injections, whereas in the clinical trial in the Mayo Clinic, they only got vitamin C by mouth, not by the intravenous route. Now, when you give vitamin C intravenously, you get something like 100, 100 and I'm being conservative, some people say 500 or 1,000, but you get at least 100 times more vitamin C to the site of the cancer than you do when you give it or when you take it orally. That's a huge, huge difference. That's one huge difference. The other thing is that vitamin C administered intravenously congregates at the site of the cancer and actually generates hydrogen peroxide. So why do I bring this up at this point? Because hydrogen peroxide whose formula is H2O2 and readily, and that's the same hydrogen peroxide we buy in the in the, in the in the drugstore. Um, it, it it generates free radicals. In other words, the O the singlet oxygen breaks away from the the H2O the water you know, and you've got you've got free radical oxygen and water. The water, of course, is just dispersed, but that singlet oxygen is highly to- is a highly toxic substance. It's a prooxidant. It's not an antioxidant. In that context, and so it kills the cancer cell. And this was all worked out beautifully by a group of, of people at, within the bowels of the, the belly of the beast, as it were, within the NIH, um, who showed the two things that is a mechanism, a plausible mechanism by which vitamin C could kill cancer selectively, and secondly, that the previous clinical trials were, were, were deeply flawed by the fact that they didn't administer the vitamin C in the correct way, in the way that Pauling had specified. So uh, that that confirmed Pauling's belief that the, that the clinical trial was, at the very least, um, you know, uh, invalid. And then when nobody wants to get into the issue of why they did this or how, why Mortel would have done this. But the man was deeply prejudiced and committed against all alternative treatments. so figure it out for yourself. But... The, the fact of the matter is that that left open the question of what effect vitamin that vitamin C would have intrave- when administered intravenously. Now along comes um, uh, Dr. Reardon and, and, uh, and then Jeannie Drisco at University of Kansas, and they were giving intravenous vitamin C for many many years, but they never came out with a with a clinical trial with clinical data. So we were left in sort of and – and I, as of a few weeks ago, I was telling my clients, you know, I cannot endorse this treatment because if the folks at the University of Kansas had positive data, why don't they come out with it? Why don't they just publish something that we can hang our hat on? So, I mean, my heart was with the – you know, I wrote a book about about Albert St. Georgie, who, who, who first isolated vitamin C, won the Nobel Prize in 1937 for that work, I wrote a book called Free Radical about him. So, I mean, my heart is with the vitamin C, but my brain was telling me, but you can't really endorse this because there's really nothing clinical that you could hang your, ha- your hat on. Well, that all changed a couple of weeks ago. Um, in late December, the University of Iowa, a big team at the University of Iowa Medical Center, published two papers, one of which showed that there was, uh, if they gave a standard treatment for advanced stage pancreatic cancer standard conventional treatment and they added in intravenous vitamin C there was i think 9 or 10 months greater survival in the people who got the vitamin C just that one extra thing added added in uh than those who didn't get it um and so that's sufficient i mean there were an and, and even more mind boggling that the National Cancer Institute has given them $5.5 million to do further studies, and further studies would definitely be warranted. But for the time being, now to me that's a green light treatment, meaning that I can now uh, approve of my clients and, people and my readers in general um, going and getting intravenous vitamin C because I think it's pretty clear from this pancreatic cancer case that a vitamin C does not promote the growth of cancer which is something that the folks at Sloan Kettering said for a number of years completely erroneously and b that you might get an extra t- even in the most dire case which is very advanced pancreatic cancer you might get an extra 9 or 10 months just from doing that one intervention that's not a whole whole you know holistic program that's a single I- intervention and it's a good good likelihood and the, and these people by the way are very very eminent uh doctors at Iowa I mean these are not newbies these are people of great number of publications great experience high positions within the university uh it's a valid you know study as far as it goes now of course you have to you have to now go through more you know, other other questions will be raised and you have to go through more rig- rigorous and larger studies. But I think vitamin C is on the map now. And I, I'm anticipating with, with the NCI funding mechanism uh, um, in place that there's going to be uh, a, a great deal more interest in this than in the past. And to me, it's a, you know, it's a phenomenal story because for a couple of reasons, one of which is, I mean, this human drama of, Pauling, who has since passed away, of course, uh, and these other people who fought for so hard for so long and were were really uh, steamrollered, now are being vindicated, and it's taken a good 20 20 years to see that, or 25 years to see that vindication taking place, so it's very, very encouraging. So I think that's... uh, And I I mentioned before how this ties into ozone. Well, ozone is singlet oxygen, as well. So there, there's a mechanism now we could say if you can get uh, just a free radical oxygen uh, to the site of a cancer, you probably can kill the cancer cells with that. So, you know, there's a, there's a possibility that ozone will be re- rehabilitated uh, as well. But I, I think at this point uh, the non-toxicity of, of vitamin C is so tremendous. I mean, it's, it's just an incredible and that, that this ounces of this stuff can be given intravenously to a person and they don't have any negative side effects. I, I took it myself a, a few years ago. I had a broken a foot. A, a, my foot was broken in five places and a, a kindly doctor offered to treat me with intravenous vitamin C and hypothermia. And it was an amazing experience because that foot um, stopped hurting as soon as I finished that treatment. I, and I felt great. Uh, I don't know what you know what all the mechanisms of that are, but it never hurt again. And I was in Europe at the time, and I threw away my my orthopedic boot and I went home normal. So I had a wonderful experience myself with the vitamin C. But you know what it does. I mean, how exactly how that it works in cancer? Well, we have some idea, and we don't have any non-toxic chemo in the world. So perhaps this perhaps this <coughs> event will spark the the interest of a, a lot more oncologists and this will become a standard treatment. All
0: right. So Dr. Morris, just to summarize that. So our listeners know this intravenous vitamin C was used on, uh, in conjunction with both chemotherapy and radiation therapy to get this result. Correct. Correct.
3: correct. That was so. gem, the drug was gemcitabine, which is not the, not the most toxic toxic drug used uh, for pancreatic cancer. More typically today, they would use fulfirinox which is a combination of four toxic drugs so we don't know how the vitamin C would interact with the fulfirinox combination but with the gem gemcitabine or gemsar and radiation it in, it increased the longevity in the treated in the vitamin C treated group by about I'm not I don't have my notes in front of me but I think it was t- about 10 months which in cancer okay. land is a, is a large, large advantage. I know some patients are going to think, well, what's 10 months? Well, I mean, <laughs> 10 months is like the best result of any drug, uh, practically, that's been seen with, single drug seen with treating pancreatic cancer, as far as I
1: know.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Well,
1: well, Dr. Morse, let me just interject. How about uh, William B. Kelly's work and Nicholas Gonzalez's work with chymotrypsin? They had... I think a very high success rate with
3: pancreatic cancer. Well, so they said, but you know, there was only there only were six patients in the series that Gonzalez wrote about uh, Kelly. You know, I knew I knew Linus Pauling, so I would say, I knew that anything that came at it from that man was honest and truthful. I also knew I knew Dr. Kelly and I knew Gonzalez. Unfortunately, I couldn't say the same about them. So I'm not going to I'm not going to say just because somebody makes a claim that I'm going to necessarily endorse it. I'm not going to go into any details about that. But you know, we, we'd have to see. Let's put it this way: we would have to see confirmation of the claims that Kelly and Gonzalez made uh, by. Independent scientists who who did not who were not affiliated in any way with them before I would be able to accept the validity of what they were saying. Uh, there were some interesting aspects to the pancreatic enzyme theory of cancer. I wrote I edited a whole medical journal issue on the on the 150th anniversary of Dr. John Beard who invented that whole. Line of research, so I'm certainly no not unfamiliar with it, and I'm not unsympathetic towards it. But before you can endorse something, in other words, before you you can recommend a road that patients are going to go down, you have to have firm belief that what the information you're getting is honest, accurate, unbiased, and 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 valid. I don't have that belief in either. In Either Kelly or Gonzalez, both of whom have passed away. So I'm not going to endorse it because uh, you have to – if you don't trust the person, uh, their integrity, then you're not going to be able to endorse the work unless unless independent people who are truly independent have been able to verify that that line of research, in which case, you know, you just say, all right, uh, I may not approve of everything that these people said and did, but I have to accept that what they said about cancer was truthful. Since I don't have that independent verification, I'll just go with my gut on this one and say, no, I don't really believe that something that Dr. Kelly or Dr. Gonzalez said is necessarily true. So I'll just, I'll just leave it.
0: And, and that's why I think I've I've followed you over the years, uh, Dr. Moss. And uh, you sound almost like when I, I went to uh, Hanover, Germany to meet uh, Hans Nieper. He, uh, He was a hero to me, and uh, he—he—he was a scientist, and uh, he had to prove it.
3: Yes. Well, I I don't know if you knew him, but
0: he was—he was a great man, and he actually—I knew him very
3: well. The first, the last thing that he did in life basically was translate my book, Questioning Chemotherapy, into German. Last publication, and uh, then—and then I also had the privilege of writing the the forward to his autobiography a, 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 a curious man it was called which is a nice pun on pun on you know to play on words
0: yeah he was a great man in fact i have his tapes the tapes i made know, cassette tapes when i was with him he uh, he really influenced yeah. me a lot and by the way, yeah, if you need a translator, my daughter is a uh, medical translator. She lives in Malaga, Spain. She does all the translations for, at this time oh. from uh, Spanish to English for the universities there. Oh, but she translates Good to many know. languages. Yeah, and and she, she had about okay. six, six or seven in New England Journal this past six months of her translations. Oh, wonderful! But well, be that as it may, we're here to talk about cancer. We're here to talk about Dr. Moss. Dr. Moss' uh, his, uh, website is uh, mossreports dot com. If you go there, you can download and, uh, his Ultimate Guide to Cancer, DIY Research. It is a 60-page yeah. uh, report, uh, very comprehensive. I have not read it all, but I've, I've perused it. It has great uh, yeah. at, uh, people talking about it uh, at the end. Where they're saying good things about it. Yeah. So I think that that's uh, something that all our listeners should do as soon as we well, finish the program.
3: my... Uh, my- my voice is uh, is running out. I'm afraid, so I'm going to have to call it uh, quits for for this time. But I'd like to come back to your show at some point if I could.
0: Uh, we can, and uh, I want to thank Ben too. I don't know the relationship, but he was really helpful in putting this thing together. And uh, we'll we'll thank we'll, you. we'll wrap up by just summarizing what we've talked about, okay. and uh, we'll be in touch. And Dr. Moss, thank you so okay. much, and God bless, and you've been a big help.
3: All right, great talking to you. We'll talk again.
0: Thank you. Okay. Okay, So, ladies and uh, gentlemen, we have been talking with Ralph Moss, PhD, a cancer researcher. uh, Got a little – talked a lot and lost his voice somewhat. Uh, But he has this great website, mossreports.com. Yeah, you can get the free uh, report plus – if you have to happen to have one of the common cancer diagnoses, uh, the 40 that he has books on, they, they can be purchased. He's available for a uh, consultation. Uh, I, again, you, you you have some time to make the right decisions. You have time to, uh, and, you know, in most cases, to ask questions. And... Uh, he just brought a lot to to the table. I have to just, just, uh, digest it myself. I have to look up, and I was not familiar with the Fabno, the Fellows of Naturopathic Oncology. I have to look that up, and I'll put that on my Facebook page when I do. And Dr. Jerry, what the what, what's your summary of Dr. Dr. Moss?
1: Well, you know, he's science based, which is really good. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, quackery uh, in, in any field today. Um, and, and sometimes you really have to sift through to get an intelligent evaluation of, of a particular treatment. Um, and so, you know, the key, the key is to um, look at cancer from a global perspective and, and not just attack the cancer. Uh, Cause I can tell you firsthand that cancer is not a disease. It's a breakdown of the immune system. And, you know, just treating the cancer, as a disease, I think, is going down the slippery slope and and, and you're going to get damaged real bit, real heavily.
0: But it's like you did make the point that yeah. you know, there's a prevention side and then there's a side when you're diagnosed and you say, oh, my gosh, what can I do? I think he made the case that, you know, uh, some of the immune therapy then and the IV vitamin C or whatever, and then once you get under control, then you can still continue with the uh, prevention. That, that's what I got out of it.
1: Yeah, but and they brought up a valid point about the immunotherapy, which uh, even Teresa is a late person and she says, This is crazy. Why damage the immune system first and then do the immunotherapy? I mean it should be reversed. It's it's just craziness.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. And Ladies and gentlemen, again, Dr. Moss is this. This is available on iTunes and Stitcher and iHeartRadio Radio and TuneIn Radio. Uh, the podcast on iTunes, carry Dr. Ron, Unfiltered, Uncensored. If you want to tell your your friends about it to listen to Dr. Moss, but I think it's really important that you you go to his website, MossReports dot com, and download that book. I think that's important for you and your family, no matter whether you have cancer or not. So, Dr. Jerry, I. I I was a little bit panicking there. I didn't think he would call in, but uh, he he came through. Thanks to Teresa, he uh, he came right through, and uh, I really appreciate her setting this up. Um, next week uh, we don't have a guest, but I, I was thinking about, you know, margarine. Well, is sunscreen the new margarine? Think about that. Maybe hey, we can talk about that next week. Is sunscreen the new margarine? And you know what it comes in
1: different threads <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and we could you know because that brings in a big subject of vitamin D too, so sunscreen and margarine and uh hypothyroidism you know there's a I, the more I look at uh, dr Barnes's book, and the more i'm reading in the in the, in the journals about how you know people are diagnosed with o c d depression anxiety uh you know, hypothyroidism. He says can cause all this stuff. Maybe we should talk about hypothyroidism again and and how that how how it should be treated. And uh, but uh, I really enjoyed tonight. I really uh, I learned a lot. So, Doctor Jerry, another episode in the books.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, I think the key is that we're bringing our listeners, you know good quality information, and at least it'll put them on the right track instead of uh, being passive about their, their treatment.
0: And one thing I want to mention is, you know, our show now is in prime time. Uh, we are attracting a nice audience, and I do appreciate Blog Talk moving us to a primetime spot. And we will be continuing at that spot on Tuesdays at 7 p.m., with one exception, on February 1st at 4 p.m., we will have as a very special guest, Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. And we're going to interview him uh, about his new book, which is titled Diabetes is Optional. And Dr. Teitelbaum is also a world expert on fibromyalgia. In fact, his SHINE program is now used uh, at the American Academy of Pain Management and a lot of uh, centers around the United States and the world uh, to treat fibromyalgia. So uh, it'll be two topics, diabetes is optional, he'll talk about his new book, and fibromyalgia, which more and more people are uh, uh, complaining of and having achiness and uh, general fatigue, uh, chronic, chronic pain syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome. So we'll talk to Dr. Uh, Teitelbaum about that. I have my uh, blood work I done blood tomorrow. I'm sorry. What should my You broke up trees?
4: Oh, I was trying to send you a text. <laughs>
0: okay. Not, um, not, what not... should my
4: lymphocytes be? I'm I'm uh getting my blood work done tomorrow and I want to make sure that the chemo's not knocking them down. Do you remember what he said they were? They should be.
0: I don't. I may have been oh, doing okay. other things with the board. I'm sorry about that. Okay. No problem. Okay. I'll look it up.
4: I didn't realize right, I was please. still a speaker. Thank you so much for letting me question him and all. God bless you.
0: All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as uh, we have our uh, good friend uh, and Grammy Award winner, Fred Cooper, writing us The Doctor in the House. He's going to write us one to get to get off the air, but we're just going to play a little bit of The Doctor's in the House by a two-time Grammy winner that gave us this this song. And we will see you next week on the radio at 7 p.m., margarine and sunscreens and cancer. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored with Dr. Ron and Dr. Jerry. Finishing up an interview with Dr. Ralph Moss. We really appreciate you tuning in. We look forward to having you tune in next Tuesday at 7. Our sunscreen is the next margarine. We'll talk about it. Have a great night. Ciao. Good night. Good night.